and welcome to the ProRata Podcast, a podcast that takes 10 minutes to get you smarter, faster on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Filling in for Dan Primack today, I'm Axios Special Projects producer Naomi Shapin. On today's show, the coronavirus vaccine race and optimism in the record label business. But first, a Beijing think tank ranks U.S. governors. Reports obtained by Axios show that a think tank based in Beijing compiled a rating of U.S. governors and White House advisors based on how, quote, friendly they are to China. On February 8th, Mike Pence mentioned one of the reports in a speech to the National Governors Association in the context of warning that China could be attempting to influence U.S. policy on the state and local level. Axios China reporter Bethany Allen Abrahamian was able to obtain the reports, which were compiled by the Chinese think tank DNC Think. DNC is not officially part of the Chinese government, but it does list the Chinese Communist Party's political influence shop among its partners. The report on U.S. governors appears to have involved scouring the internet for statements, government websites, and media coverage that would give an indication of each governor's stance on China. The think tank then rated them hardline, friendly, or unknown. It also examined each governor's political affiliation and their state's economic size, geography, and level of trade with China. Six governors were found to be hardline, 17 were found to be friendly, and the rest were found to be unclear or no stated position. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Axios reporter Bethany Allen Abrahamian. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. Joining us is Bethany Allen Abrahamian, who has taken the helm of our China newsletter to talk about the Beijing think tank reports. Let's start with how you found out about the report. Did you learn about it from the statement that Mike Pence gave to the National Governors Association? Yes, I was listening to his speech, and it was the first time I had heard of this report. I thought it was uh, quite interesting. Now, he just gave it a short mention. He started out by addressing, you know, this room full of governors saying, China's watching you. They, uh, there's a think tank in Beijing that has written a report that rates all of you on how friendly you are to China. And that was just about as much as he said about it, but I really thought that was fascinating and wanted to learn more. And now we have the reports, and there are some really incredible quotes, including this one, quote, governors can ignore orders from the White House, dot, 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 and state governments can change or even cancel local governments, such as cities, counties, and school districts. I just want to note that that language isn't exactly what we'd use to describe our civic system. And I'm curious, can you explain what that tells us about the report? Is it sort of a quirk of translation or does it reveal something deeper about where China is currently and where they're trying to go in terms of grasping the overlap of power and authority between the federal government, states, cities, counties and more? I think that they were trying to explain the federal system and generally think tanks in China are underdeveloped. They don't have a really strong concept or a very strong ecosystem of think tanks in China. And, you know, think tanks in the U.S. play a very important role as kind of a bridge between lawmakers and the rest of civil society and the rest of academia. And they produce reports both for the public and also for policymakers to use. And this is a new think tank that was founded, I believe, in 2017. And they're trying to kind of bridge that gap in a Western sort of sense. Most other think 
tanks in China are either directly run by a government agency or a bureau or are funded by the government directly. And this think tank is a little bit different. So they're, they're trying to bring some greater nuance to the discussion of in the U.S.-China relationship. They're trying to bring more and more granular knowledge about the American federal system and how our government and society works. What's the end game of getting that information together? Does it come down basically to questions about trade or is there more going on? Trade was a big focus of this report. They broke down charts showing for all 50 states, showing you know import, export level of trade between each state and China. A little quirk of Chinese is that they use GDP to refer even to a state's economy. So they compared the sizes of each state's GDP. They compared its level of trade with China. And then they looked, they tried to find a correlation between level of trade with China and uh, a governor's, you know, friendlier or unfriendly attitude, friendly or hardline attitude. And they didn't really find a correlation there. So they were looking at the trade question. They did not find perhaps what some people might have assumed, either in China or the U.S., that states with, a, with you know, really, really high levels of trade with China might not have friendlier attitudes, for example, because it's bringing maybe lots of jobs, or maybe maybe they would have a hardline attitude because it's taking away jobs, depending on the type of trade. But neither of those were the case. And zooming out a little bit, you mentioned the sort of infrastructure of think tanks in China. Was it expected that Chinese think tanks were doing this kind of research, you know, not just on the federal government in the U.S., but on local governments? Or is that surprising? I found it somewhat surprising to see that this kind of report would be made publicly available at this level of granularity, talking about the different levels of the U.S. government. Certainly, within the the Chinese government, within the Communist Party, there are plenty of understanding about the basics of the U.S. federal system. I think what was new and interesting to me about this report was how closely they looked at individuals. You know, and this is not an intelligence analyst doing this. You know, this is just a public report. They stated that they looked through U.S. you know media and government websites looking for statements from you know from all of the governors and then used that in some way to rate them as friendly or hardly. I would like to note that that is entirely subjective, and so should we, we should not take those ratings as meaning anything in particular, except as a sign of maybe the you know people in Beijing just needing and wanting more information about how to maybe engage U.S. government and society at a time when Washington is a bit closed off from them. And just to be clear, we don't know for sure how the Communist Party may or may not have been involved in the creation of this report. We can kind of think of the report as something that would come out of a think tank here. Is that right? Like something we might see from a place like Brookings. That's right. I mean, this report was clearly produced you know, for public consumption. It was not a policy document. It was not an internal party document. It did not use party jargon or Chinese government jargon. It was clearly written by researchers who were, you know, had the approval to just write, a, you know, a, to research something, to write it up in normal language and then just publish it. Now, the, the think tank in question called uh, DNC Think does have, and they state, state this openly on their website, they have a partnership with the United Front Work Department, which is the Chinese Communist Party's office for political influence, both domestically and abroad. I don't have any insight as to the nature of that partnership or how it may have affected this report. I don't know if they funded this report 
report or not. Overall, my impression of the report is that if you were to translate it into English, you know, and if it were perhaps a reverse topic, it was written in a way that seemed very normal to me. You know, this is a group of researchers who are just genuinely interested in trying to produce useful information for consumption by the public, by policymakers, you know, that was just trying to find facts. Gotcha. Thank you for clarifying that. Thanks, Bethany. And to our listeners, if you haven't subscribed to the China newsletter, I really cannot recommend it highly enough. My final two after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. Sanofi is the latest drug maker to jump into the race to develop a vaccine for the coronavirus, joining Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, and Novavax. The outbreak may be on the brink of becoming a global pandemic, per reporting from my colleague Eileen O'Reilly. One sign suggesting this is that people are infecting each other in a more sustainable fashion. To date, the virus has killed more than 2,000 people and infected over 75,000 others. The vast majority of cases are in China. In all of this, more than a dozen drug makers have pledged to develop a vaccine, antiviral, or other treatment for the virus. But vaccine development is a slow and expensive process. A vaccine will not be ready before next year at the earliest, and vaccine development can cost as much as $800 million. The chief medical officer at GlaxoSmithKline's vaccine unit told Reuters it will take at least 12 to 18 months, which means in the acute situation we are in now, at least in China, it will not create a benefit. During the 2014 Ebola outbreak, pharmaceutical giants raced to develop a vaccine. It's worth noting that while experimental vaccines have been tested and used in subsequent outbreaks, it wasn't until November of last year that an Ebola vaccine from Merck was officially approved by European regulators, the first Ebola vaccine to clear that crucial hurdle. And finally, streaming services have given the record label industry a major boost in recent years. And now labels, including Universal Music Group and Warner Music Group, are planning IPOs. Per reporting from Sarah Fisher, there's been sustained revenue growth in the music industry for the last three years. But the interest in public offerings suggests that executives could be anticipating a growth ceiling. Research has indicated that while millions of customers are buying into streaming services like Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Music, they're not likely to sign up for more than one, and they seem unwilling to pay much more than $10 a month to stream music. And we're done. Huge thanks to producer Tim Shovers and to Dan for letting me host Prorata again today. Kim Hart will be hosting tomorrow, and Dan will be back next week. <laughs>